Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And welcome to October 26th, 2020. Uh, eight days until the election we've all been waiting for, <laughs> for seemingly an eternity, even though many of us have already uh, cast our votes, which is a, a strange kind of new reality and a ton of new realities. Uh, I am uh, I am a sort of gray as the day, my mood that is. Um, I've just been thinking of all we've been through. And I, I what what set me off was the uh was the date and the knowledge that tomorrow is the two year anniversary of that massacre that happened just a few blocks from my house, Tree of Life, 11 human beings mowed down in prayer for the crime of being Jews, the worst anti-Semitic attack in American history here. And the fact that I knew some of them or their families or the fact that the one of the brothers that died, Rosenthal, I always saw him standing on the corner. I wondered about him, this big, huge guy was always standing across the street from Tree of Life. Maybe waiting for a bus. I don't know. But I saw him all the time. Wondered about him. And now, there that building still stands. Empty. Still. Two years later, it still stands. And it is still impossible to drive by it. As I used to, day, used to do many times a day. And now because I'm somewhat housebound, rarely, but it's pretty hard for me to go anywhere without driving past it, and every time I do, the horror of that day. And it was just, think of everything else since. We've been through a lot, and uh, many of us are still standing. <laughs> um, but we have reason to feel um, exhausted if we do, um, anxious, who doesn't, depressed, fearful, at the same time lucky. And it is a lot, a lot. I want to um, add two personal notes, if I may, and then get into the rest of the show. Um, the gut punch that was Tree of Life you know, those things don't happen a lot in your life where you literally feel like you've been punched in the gut, where you are breathless and stunned and disbelieving and grieving. I'm being told my volume is very low. Just saying. I feel very low today. Maybe it's just a result of that. I'm not projecting, perhaps. Um, I'm low. But another such event happened uh, to me 
well, didn't happen to me. I, yeah, um, God, was it two weeks ago now? Maybe a week, maybe two. Time flies. I was awakened on a Saturday morning to the news of of a friend's suicide. And I have not spoken of it because, um, well, those closest to him had not had not given the okay. I did not ever see an obituary in the paper, but finally, I did see an obituary, a wondrous obituary in Pittsburgh City paper. And um, that allowed me to tell you a little bit about this wonderful, wonderful human being who's been lost. Some of you may remember he served for a little bit of time as my producer. The woman he loved served for a much longer time as my producer, and that was Jess of the infectious laugh. Jess was my producer for a long, long time. And she and Alex met through City Paper Alex Gordon. He rose to become the managing editor. He was, you know, and and because when people die, we say things that makes every single person who's ever died seem like they were the greatest human being who ever existed. They lit up the room, they this and that. And you think, well, how come when I'm living, I don't feel that way about all these people? (laughs) It's sort of weird, isn't it? But I always felt that way about Alex. He exuded kindness. It's what I loved so much about him, kindness and this sort of quiet, wry humor. Never at someone else's expense because he would never hurt a fly. He was the gentlest soul. When I first met him, when he was my producer, he became my producer, I think he was just like an intern or something at City Paper and uh, I needed a producer and they tossed him in my direction. It wasn't what he wanted. (laughs) He told me a little bit about himself. He's extremely diffident and sort of shy and um, never would come on strong in in any way. And he told me how he was juggling, I I think at the time, three or four jobs and still living pretty much like a pauper. He worked and he worked. He was a musician. He, he, He was a writer. And as busy as he was, I remember him telling me how he'd signed up for this great program, he said where if like a disabled person or an older person needed somebody to shovel their walk, their stairs, that they could be paired with 
somebody who would volunteer to do that. And he told me that – I mean he is the kind of person who, when, upon hearing something like that, would say, well, of course. And so he signed up and did shovel strangers' walkways out of the kindness of his great soul. It's um, it's an unbearable loss. He struggled with depression all his life. And it got him, I guess. Because City Paper was, like so many papers, struggling to stay alive when the pandemic hit and we lost all our advertising. People had to be furloughed. There was no way we could have the staff we had, even though the staff we had was skeletal. And Alex was one who was furloughed. In some ways, I'm going to suggest that he is another victim of the pandemic in that regard. I don't know. He was engaged to marry Jess. They were so in love. To see them together was to be happy in their joy in their clear love for each other. The staff at Pittsburgh City Paper is devastated. And uh, newspapers don't normally say, we're stopping, we can't function, but Pittsburgh City Paper did two weeks ago. They're back, but they're struggling. He was, I am quite sure, the most loved member of that staff because there's no way you wouldn't love him. Maybe people like him who are so good, who are so kind, who are so empathic, who feel so much, Maybe it's harder for them to live, especially amidst so much sorrow and pain as we are enduring now. I don't know. I just want you to know that he was a great, great human being. And I still can't even take in that he's gone. And please find places in your heart and prayers for his family and for Jeff. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine her. I've been wanting to tell you about him. To read a wonderful obituary written by uh, a city paper colleague, Hannah Lynn, please uh, just check it out online. She did him proud. She fleshed him out. And I know when I read it, I was able she so made him come alive again that I I was able to grieve. I was able to finally cry. I find myself not crying as much as I should because I feel like crying a lot these days, and I don't. I'm holding all that in, and boy, Hannah helped me 
let it out. And I am grateful. Amy will post Hannah's obituary on on our Facebook page. Uh, and then I have one other personal thing that I have to flag for you. Um, these last maybe four or five months have been hard on me in a physical way. I've, I've really struggled with, um, um, pain and, um, have been unable to walk any, any distance at all, which precludes my being able to live my life. My my goal in life is now simply being able to walk my dog again. I so loved walking my dog. And um, after months and months of physical therapy and injections of steroids into my spine and nerve blockers ingested and all kinds of ways of trying to avoid the inevitable I have surrendered. (laughs) Uh, I never in my life even got a second opinion on, you know, when a doctor said, well, you gotta, you gotta do this. You, we gotta have surgery. And I've never gotten a second opinion. I just went like a sheep to slaughter and had the surgery. And I've had a lot of surgeries in my life. And when you've had a lot, you know you don't want anymore. Each one is a danger. Each one presents, you know, daunting possibilities and risks. So I really tried, (laughs) came up short. I got a second opinion. And unfortunately, that opinion was the same as the first. I went back to the first guy. And he gave me a little bit of a, well, maybe we could, but I, and that gave me a little hope for a while. And then I went to a third, a third surgeon. All of these guys, by the way, top drawer, highly recommended. And he was very clear. I got to do this. So I am scheduled for surgery two weeks from tomorrow. Um, What that means is um, it's a pretty intensive surgery. So I'll be out, I would imagine, for two weeks after. Okay. So this week and next week are our two weeks prior to the surgery. Um, and uh, I, it's a bitch because the surgery is a week after the election, so it's on the 10th. But and, – and what that means is actually I might not be around to, you know, to talk through – Whatever is awaiting us in the aftermath, but uh, this is uh, what has to be. I cannot continue as I have been. I I I have to take this shot. Gotta bite the bullet and uh, hope that this will get my life back. You know, we're all constrained. Our lives are constrained now because of the pandemic, but. I, you know, doubled onto that, this inability to even perform the most mundane 
tasks of, you know, keeping my house in order and walking my dog and, and things like that. And, and I have, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's been rough. My son has been amazing and has uh, been there every day for me, come over every day. But, uh, you know, he has a life too, and I just got to get on with it. So anyway, I'm sorry to spend so much time on all of this stuff, but I have been under a lot of stress and am continuing, um, obviously, a lot of stress. I'm very anxious about this surgery. It involves all kinds of, you know, I already have a foot that is screwed together, and now I'm going to have a spine that is screwed together, but um, just too many uh, docs. And for those of you who have, you know, said, oh, you got to check this guy and he'll do this and don't do that, you know, believe me, I have done serious due diligence here, total. And every back problem is unique. Every back problem is um, different. Every surgery is different. I have three factors, any one of which would require surgical intervention, but I got a trifecta going. So um, there's just no way around it. God dang it. So that's it. That's all the news. I just needed to get it off my chest. Okay. Uh, so, whew, where do we go? I, uh, I want to, I want to talk about what's going to happen today, and that is the elevation of Amy Coney. I'm blanking out. Oh, Barrett, right? Denial, get you so far, <laughs> to the Supreme Court of the United States. I want to talk about that because it is an affront to democracy. One week before Americans, in all likelihood, throw out the president who nominated her and throw out this Senate that signed off on it and is installing her on the court, assuming that that happened. You will have had these Republicans essentially take over the Supreme Court of the United States for the rest of my lifetime, for decades to come, knowing full well that the American people did not want this. did not want them. Try to get this through your head. Fifteen of the last 19 Supreme Court justices were put there by the Republicans. Fifteen of the last 19. Democrats, they got four. Understand, too, that Republicans represent a minority of the American people. And it is only through the strangeness of our constitutional republic that they have had the power they have had for so much 
of the last 30 years. And we have talked many times about how when they have power, they unabashedly, unashamedly use it. So the Republicans have put 15 of the last 19 Supreme Court justices on the court. And at the same time, this is the party that has lost the popular vote six of the last seven elections. The American people do not want to be ruled by Republicans. We vote that way over and over and over and over again. By the millions, we say, no, we want that Democrat. And what do we get? Sometimes with the help of the Supreme Court, <laughs> Bush v. Gore, we get the Republican. This is not democracy, guys. Democracy is a game of numbers, right? Majorities are winners. But in our country, we have lived under minority rule for much of the last 40 years. And the reason is we are the only democracy, we are the only democracy that has these odd things like an electoral college. And we know that the reason we have this odd thing of the electoral college was back in 1780 something. The only way to get a constitution passed by all the states, 13 states, was to give gifts to the smaller states, to the southern states, to the slave-owning states. And so we got this thing called the Electoral College. But when you look at our elections, all of they do is create minority rule. Republicans have won the popular vote for president only once in the last 20 years, only once in the last 20 years, and yet they have controlled the presidency for 12 of those 20 years. Democrats easily. consistently win more overall votes for the Senate. We did in 2016. We did in 2018. And yet, do we control the Senate? Mm -mm. No, we don't. The 45 Democrats and two independents who caucus with us in the Senate represent millions more Americans than the 53 Republican senators who have all the power, which they will use today. This is minority rule. It is an abomination in a 
so-called democracy. And then, as if that's not enough, Republicans, of course, are very adept at keeping people from voting, at gerrymandering, all ways of disenfranchising the people they know don't want them in power. Republican state governments have been purging voter rolls, closing polling places. We know all this. So even if Biden wins in a week, if he only wins by one or two points, Donald Trump will still be president. How is that a democracy? No, it's rigged in their favor. So Joe Biden has to win by at least six points. If he's going to have a shot at getting to be the next president. And the Senate elections are similarly skewed. This can not continue. It is an affront to every American who has a vote that doesn't count. The Electoral College must be eliminated, one. There have been efforts in the past. The House, uh, back in 1969, passed legislation saying we're getting rid of the Electoral College. It went to the Senate, (laughs) controlled shockingly by Republicans. And uh, they, of course, said no. And as one Southern Senator, James Allen of Alabama, put it, quote, the Electoral College is one of the South's few remaining political safeguards. Let's keep it. No other established democracy has an electoral college. No other established democracy has this nonsensical filibuster thing in which now 60 votes, more than a majority, are required to get anything done. And any political system that repeatedly allows a minority party to control the executive branch, and because of that, the Supreme Court, to control the Senate by virtue of every state getting two senators, even if it's Rhode Island gets two and Montana gets two and California gets two, there's nothing fair about the representation in the Senate. For Democrats to control the Senate, we've got to do almost the impossible. So the Electoral College lets Republicans lose elections but win the presidency. The two senators for every state allows these huge and tiny states, but with little population, to have the same representation as states that are huge with population, with people. And the Senate is an extremely powerful body. So the Republicans almost always will hold it. So they get the executive, they get the Senate, 
and consequently they get the court. And this can not be allowed anymore. It just can't. Um, I want to find this one little piece of information, which I'm not finding. But I have to tell you that court packing is what's been happening for the last six years. It's been the Republicans who have packed the federal judiciary. Lifetime tenures have packed it. And if Democrats finally have power, if we get the White House, if we get the Senate, and understand that if we do, we have done yeoman's work because we are up against a structure that is rigged against us. We're going to have to do something about the court and the courts. We're going to have to do something about reform. We're going to have to do something about the Electoral College. And lest you think that is something that, well, that's just beyond the pale. The reality is that Republican states – I'm blanking on which two I read about – Republican states have no problem whatsoever packing their courts, their Supreme Courts, when they want to. And they've done that recently. I was looking for which ones because I had it written down somewhere and I can't find it. Yeah, they were always losing at the Supreme Court. So they held power, except at the Supreme Court. So they made the court bigger, put their people in and changed the arithmetic. Republicans use power unapologetically. Uh, okay, I believe I have a caller. Go ahead, please. Hi, Lynn. Hello. No time for jokes today, honey. Okay. Just want to, uh, you know, this electoral college, two representatives go to vote for the electoral college, and they're not bound to vote for what the state says. When they get there, they can vote any way they want. How is that? How is that possible? Well, I think there wasn't there a recent ruling that they did have to abide by the. I, I thought there was a Supreme Court ruling on this. Look, the whole electoral college is nonsense. It's just nonsense. It's antiquated nonsense and has to go. You know, we've changed things before. When the Constitution was first written, was first written, senators were not elected by us, the popular vote. Senators were appointed. We, at like 100 years ago or something, said, you know what, this ain't working anymore. And there were reforms that were done. And that's where we got to go again. We've got to reform these archaic structures which prevent the people's voice, the people's choice, from being realized. It's given us like these... you said what? Like you said, you got them big square states in the middle yeah. of the country. Yeah. But there's nobody living there 
Yeah. And they're swinging the vote. Yeah. You know, oh, I mean, it's crazy, crazy because stop and think about it. There are states that, you know, every state gets two senators. And every state gets, uh, you know, as many people to to the Congress, to the House of Representatives, um, based on the population. And there are states, I mean, almost every state with any population at all has certainly more people in the House of Representatives than they do senators. Everybody's got two senators. I was blown away when I realized how many states have two senators and just one representative in the House, because that is how small the population is. But they get that oversized role. The Dakotas, the Montana, Wyoming, they get this oversized power in the Senate. Now, what's happened is our politics are such that rural states like those big states are Republican. And so this is something now that means that Republicans will have power even when they represent a minority of the people. That is so undemocratic, it's mind-blowing. How about Mitch McConnell? Oh, just giving that mask to the state of Kentucky. When you can't wear a mask if you're a Republican, but now he's giving that mask to the state of Kentucky. Yeah. What is going on here? Yeah. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. And well, listen, honey, I hope you're feeling better. I hope you feel you. better after your surgery. Because, yeah. you know, we got to keep loving you, Lynn. Don't worry about it. I'll be back. No problem. Goodbye. Bye, you. Thank you. Hey, speaking of McConnell, did anybody see – I saw this picture. It was from the New York Post, which, granted, is not a – and I'm surprised they printed it because it was a picture of McConnell um, taken like three or four days ago. And he had a bruised mouth. It looked like he'd been in a fight. He had a bruised mouth. His mouth looked like purple. And he had a bruised hand with some bandages on it. I mean, his hand was purple. And I guess he refused to answer any questions about what the heck happened to you did anybody else see that because i i'm wondering why that was not in any way talked about i don't know i'm just asking you guys usually know um what else do i have here oh god pence um, so they've deemed Pence uh, an essential worker, which is why he's going to be allowed <laughs> to go around um, and continue politicking, even though, what, at last count, five of his close associates, including his chief of staff, have tested positive. And by the way, this is information that his office never put out, the White House never put out. I forget which reporter found out about one of the guys who's tested positive and put out a report about that, and then other news operations were able to ferret out the rest of the information. These people that'd be the White House, are not even sharing willingly information about how the virus is spreading through their administration. 
We wouldn't have known that but for a reporter. And then, of course, there's the president's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, just flat out saying on State of the Union yesterday, quote, we're not going to control the pandemic. Well, we certainly knew they weren't, (laughs) and they weren't even lifting a finger to try. In fact, they seemed to be trying to exacerbate it and kill as many people as they possibly could. But for him to just flat out say, we're not going to control the pandemic, and then he goes on to say, look, it's contagious. It's a contagious virus, just like the flu. So now they're back to just like the flu. Well, interesting. Because we're heading close to a half a million Americans dead of this in three months more. And if you look around the globe, you will see that other countries did control the pandemic. This is a failure of leadership unlike anything we have seen. In terms of a public health emergency, I cannot imagine anything more outrageous. And you've heard that Fox News, too. The president of Fox News Several of the network's top anchors, including Brett Baer and Martha McCallum, all have been advised to quarantine because they were all on a private flight in which one person tested positive for the virus. Dana Perino, Juan Williams, And again, Fox, a supposed news outlet, is not confirming this report. (laughs) Not confirming the report. And when asked, excuse me, uh, are all you guys in quarantine? And uh, they say, uh, we do not uh, address uh, people's health. That is confidential information. Mm. Okay, something that's sort of funny. Can I give you just one little funny thing? This is the one thing I found that's sort of funny. Uh, Trump is, you know, doing all his rallies. And apparently at his rally, he's got a new line. He's, uh, you know, mostly he's just talks. He, he goes back to even about his last election, you know, the crowds on Inauguration Day, uh, yeah, this and that. But he's got a new one because he keeps bragging about how uh, the military has this hydrosonic missile. Oh, we have this hydrosonic missile. You cannot believe it. It is the fastest, the biggest, the deadliest, a hydrosonic missile. Here's the thing is, hydrosonic is a brand of toothbrush. Uh, Yeah. We don't have no hydrosonic missiles. It's a toothbrush. There is something called a hypersonic Maybe that's what he was thinking, but he probably has a hydrosonic toothbrush or because he watches so much television, he has seen their ads. And so that's what's in his head. But someone, someone hearing that he was constantly talking about the hydrosonic missile wrote this with apologies to Winston Churchill. We shall floss on the beaches. We shall floss on the landing grounds. We shall floss in the fields and in the streets. We shall floss in the hills. We shall never surrender. I think I've got a caller. Hello. 
Why, yes. Yes, you do have a caller. My, my. Hello. Hello. Now, I called while you were talking about uh, Mitch McConnell. and uh, yeah. <laughs> But, um, you know, the tooth will set you free. Uh, that's the hydrosonic missile joke. Did you just say the tooth will set you free? I thought that's what yes. you said. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's, that's the hydrosonic missile. Okay. But um, the McConnell's hands thing is all over yeah. Facebook. And I, know, I know you're not on Facebook, but when I first saw it, and it was yeah. a few days ago, first thing I thought of was Watermelon Man. You remember that movie from like no. 1970? There no. was this, uh, I forget, there was a comedian, a black comedian who played the Watermelon Man. But, you know, the beginning, he had a, like, white makeup. He was a, a racist white guy. <laughs> and one, one morning he woke up, and he was black. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, the first thing I thought of was Mitch McConnell was turning black. <laughs> <laughs> one of the jokes that I saw on Facebook was he said, his hand's so black that he's going to deny it the right to vote. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is going on? He looked like he was in a or face plant. He fell or he whatever. Is there any yeah. explanation? Nobody has an explanation. He hasn't given an explanation. And nobody has, I haven't even seen anybody um, come up with a theory. You know, because uh, the way it's, you know, it's some, I think, like there's not enough blood. You've seen people who's, you know, who have like uh, bad blood flow, their feet will bruise up and swell up. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Those people had that kind of theory. And that, that's the first thing I thought that there's something seriously wrong with him that he's actually going to push this woman through and then die. And then he's going to you know? drop dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then, um, well, yeah, Margaret has written. Margaret has written, and I, I like this idea too. She says he's rotting from the inside out. Yeah, it really does. It really. <laughs> it looks like it, that. If you're like, if you're like a Star Wars fan, ah, uh, now I can't think of his name, but he was like this old, old you know, the, the the most powerful guy. That he just slowly, you know, rotted. You know, yeah, <laughs> the most evil guy around. And it's really weird with McConnell because he just looks like some dopey. See, I'm a, I have these references for cartoons. There was this cartoon. It was a buzzard. I forget his name. Billy Buzzard. He looks like they, he just looks dopey. But he does some incredibly evil, backhanded things. You know? It's like you yeah. can't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. <laughs> you know? He doesn't look evil. He just looks dopey. But he does some evil stuff. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I love the idea. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no, no. Now, when it comes to the Supreme Court, um, yeah, if the Democrats, if they get the power and don't just expand it by two, they're a waste. They, they, they have yeah. to do it. Yeah, you <laughs> have, have to do, to do it. it. Yeah. I agree. All right. You have to do it. Oh, dear God. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves because we don't have the power yet. We do not. And, you know, who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Okay. okay. And by the way, I'm but, going in. I'm going into the poll. I didn't mail him a vote. I'm going you did. into the You're I going in. I'm going in. Because I, I live in like a, a suburb. You know, you can yeah. walk from voting place to voting place. Without, you know, there's so many places to vote. You know, it's, it's very easy. So you're well, going in boy, that's myself. sure not the truth in some places in this country. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of people who are voting uh, in person. They just have to. I know I wanted to, but there was no way I could stand that long, so I, I, I couldn't. But, yeah, good, good, do it. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, all that good luck with the surgeries and all that stuff. Yeah, thank you. for you for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Bye. Um, and I believe – we have another caller. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. Hi. Um, you know what that is? That why he's getting that color. He's eating that blueberry pie. Did you ever hear Reverend Sharpen say, "Don't tell me you're not eating the blueberry pie when you got it all over your face." He's eating the American <laughs> share of the pie. <laughs> That's what he's well, doing. it does look like that. I mean, his lips are purple. His. Did you see the picture? Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know. I didn't look it up to see what what he has or something. But nobody Maybe knows. Dialysis or something. I don't know. That's oh, God. But what I wanted to say is, I, I'm so tired of them comparing this election, the 20th 
2016 because at this time, Clinton's numbers were collapsing. She had a lead, but her numbers were going down. She was collapsing because of the Comey thing and all that. It's so much different than that mm-hmm. time. So I, I really blow up. I really feel it. I'm not Pollyanna or whatever you said before. I believe this is going to be a blowout. There's all the signs. And then I saw something yesterday that really was encouraging. The young people, they're yeah. not just going Biden. They're they're all in. Yeah. And it's a big majority. So I think it's going to be a blowout. I, I think we're going to know by 10, 1030. I believe it. And I, I go with James Carvel. He said the same thing. Well, I have to tell you that you are more and more, uh, yeah, being joined by people who – who would agree the numbers are certainly looking uh, like that. And uh, I'm just too superstitious, I guess, to to say anything. I just don't want to, but I have to admit yeah, in my right. back of my head, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping blowout. And, and most importantly, I'm hoping yes, that we take the Senate uh, as well, which yeah. I think we will, but we'll see. We'll see. Yep. But uh yeah, okay. you'll you'll turn out to be a great prophet. Thank you. And you hope you're feeling better. Okay. Oh thank you. Okay. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Oh yeah. Speaking of um voting, um these pictures of some Americans having to wait. I mean, there are people who have waited as much as six and seven hours to vote. Do you believe that? Now, if you're an elderly person, you can't stand there for six, seven. I can't. I can't stand there for even 20 minutes. But that is such an outrage. And it is not the America, again, that we like to hold in our hearts and our imaginations. Um, And I think it was Brian uh, Stelter, CNN, who said that lines are, are like a huge visual part of 2020. And he's so right. Think of it. We have seen and we have stood in lines like never before. We have stood in line outside of grocery stores. We have stood in line outside of drug stores. We stand in line outside of banks and restaurants. We stand in line outside of schools as children are let in one by one after having their temperatures checked. We stand in line to vote. Lines that are huge and snake around blocks and through parking lots. And then when there are not lines like that, There are lines of cars, huge, huge lines of cars. Remember the first time you saw those people in line hoping to get some food, a box of food. Lines. Lines of police holding back protesters. Lines of people waiting for COVID tests. Lines. And we were a people who didn't stand in line like others. In Europe, they they did. I remember when I was in Europe, it was interesting how they would be on cue, stand on cue, and they were used to standing in lines. They were much more orderly than us. Well, man, the idea of lines, 
being a visual representation of the big change in our lives. Henry writes, fully overhauling the way the president is selected would take a constitutional amendment, which would require the votes of two-thirds of the House, two-thirds of the Senate, three-quarters of the states. I know, it's daunting. I can't see this ever happening given the current divisions in this country, but maybe we could adjust the votes that each state has. We've got to figure out how to do what we can do. And we have to be bold. The concern is, is that in being bold, it will be challenged and will end up where? Before the Republican packed Supreme Court. So even if the American people, again, overwhelmingly want this, this Trump court, with her, he will have put Will he have put four people on the court or three? Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, her. Am I forgetting anybody? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Very few presidents get that. And that this one, and they don't get it in an eight-year tenure. This monster, in four years, with the help of his anti-democratic, power-hungry Republican cohort, he gets it. Henry says, and as for McConnell, some doctors are speculating he has a vascular disease and is undergoing dialysis or is taking blood thinners. Yeah, whatever. Well... Too bad. Wish I had sympathy for him. I consider him one of the most destructive human beings in our nation's history. And uh, worse than traitor, worse than a traitor. This is my sense. Okay, well, I guess that's it. I do want to note the passing of Jeff, Jerry Jeff Walker, whose name I never even knew, but he wrote a song that I so love, and anytime I hear it, end up crying. Um, and that was the only song he wrote, I think. <laughs> Mr. Bojangles. And he wrote it because he met a guy in uh, New Orleans drunk tank. This guy was, Jerry Jeff Walker was drunk a lot. And he wrote it in 1968. It's been covered by everybody. Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, Nina Simone, Bob Dylan, Sammy Davis Jr. I mean, what a... <laughs> I love that song. It's got so much human feeling in it. It paints such a wonderful picture and story, and you just are devastated when the dog up and died. He up and died. All right. I'll try to be in a better mood tomorrow. Okay? And... uh We'll see you then. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.